Chapter Thirty of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Izzy Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Thirty. Chapter Thirty. The Dean is very busy. A week had passed away, and nothing had as yet been heard from the Marquis nor had mr battle's confidential clerk as yet taken his departure for italy when mrs montacute jones called one day in munster court lady george had not seen her old friend since the night of the ball to which she had not gone but had received more than one note respecting her absence on that occasion and various other little matters why did not lady george come and lunch and why did not lady george come and drive lady george was a little afraid that there was a conspiracy about her in reference to captain de baron and that mrs montacute jones was one of the conspirators if so adelaide houghton was certainly another it had been very pleasant when she examined herself about this man as she endeavoured to do she declared that it had been as innocent as pleasant she did not really believe that either adelaide houghton or mrs montacute jones had intended to do mischief mischief such as the alienation of her own affections from her husband she regarded as quite out of the question she would not even admit to herself that it was possible that she should fall into such a pit as that but there were other dangers and those friends of hers would indeed be dangerous if they brought her into any society that made her husband jealous therefore though she liked mrs montacute jones very much she had avoided the old lady lately knowing that something would be said about jack de baron and not quite confident as to her own answers and now mrs montacute jones had come to her my dear lady george she said where on earth have you been are you going to cut me if so tell me at once oh mrs jones said lady george kissing her how can you ask such a question because you know it requires two to play at that game and i'm not going to be cut mrs montacute jones was a stout-built but very short old lady with gray hair curled in precise rolls down her face with streaky cheeks giving her a look of extreme good health and very bright gray eyes she was always admirably dressed so well dressed that her enemies accused her of spending enormous sums on her toilette she was very old some people said eighty adding probably not more than ten years to her age very enthusiastic particularly in reference to her friends fond of gaiety and very charitable why didn't you come to my ball lord george doesn't care about balls said mary laughing come come don't try and humbug me it had all been arranged that you should come when he went to bed hadn't it now something had been said about it a good deal had been said about it and he had agreed are you going to tell me that he won't go out with you and yet dislikes your going out without him is he such a bluebeard as that he's not a bluebeard at all mrs jones i hope not there has been something about that german baroness hasn't there oh dear no i heard that there was she came and took you and the brougham all about london and there was a row with lady selina i heard of it but that had nothing to do with my going to your party well no why should it she's a nasty woman that baroness banman if we can't get on here in england without german baronesses and american she-doctors we are in a bad way you shouldn't have let them drag you into that lot women's rights women are quite able to hold their own without such trash as that i'm told she's in debt everywhere and can't pay a shilling i hope they'll lock her up she is nothing to me mrs jones i hope not 
"'What was it, then? I know there was something. He doesn't object to Captain de Baron, does he?' "'Object to him? Why should he object to Captain de Baron?' "'I don't know why. Men do take such fancies into their heads. You are not going to give up dancing, are you?' "'Not altogether. I'm not sure that I care for it very much.' "'Oh, Lady George, where do you expect to go?' Mary could not keep herself from laughing, though she was at the same time almost inclined to be angry with the old lady's interference. "'I should have said that I didn't know a young person in the world fonder of dancing than you are. Perhaps he objects to it.' "'He doesn't like my waltzing,' said Mary with a blush. On former occasions she had almost made up her mind to confide her troubles to this old woman, and now the occasion seemed so suitable that she could not keep herself from telling so much as that. "'Oh,' said Mrs. Montague Jones, "'that's it. I knew there was something. My dear, he's a goose, and you ought to tell him so.' "'Couldn't you tell him?' said Mary, laughing. "'Would do it in half a minute, and think nothing of it. Pray don't. He wouldn't like it at all.' "'My dear, you shouldn't be afraid of him. I'm not going to preach up rebellion against husbands.' I'm the last woman in London to do that. I know the comfort of a quiet house as well as any one, and that two people can't get along easy together unless there is a good deal of give and take. But it doesn't do to give up everything. What does he say about it? He says he doesn't like it. What would he say if you told him you didn't like his going to his club? He wouldn't go. Nonsense. It's being a dog in the manger, because he doesn't care for it himself. I should have it out with him nicely and pleasantly just tell him that you are fond of it and ask him to change his mind i can't bear anybody interfering to put down the innocent pleasures of young people a man like that just opens his mouth and speaks a word and takes away the whole pleasure of a young woman's season you've got my card for the tenth of june oh yes i've got it and i shall expect you to come it's only going to be a small affair get him to bring you if you can and you do as i bid you just have it out with him nicely and quietly nobody hates a row so much as i do but people oughtn't to be trampled on all this had considerable effect upon lady george she quite agreed with mrs jones that people ought not to be trampled on her father had never trampled on her from him there had been very little positive ordering as to what she might and what she might not do and yet she had been only a child when living with her father now she was a married woman and the mistress of her own house she was quite sure that were she to ask her father, the dean would say that such a prohibition as this was absurd. Of course she could not ask her father. She would not appeal from her husband to him. But it was a hardship, and she almost made up her mind that she would request him to revoke the order. Then she was very much troubled by a long letter from the Baroness Banman. The Baroness was going to bring an action jointly against Lady Selina Protest and Miss Mildmay, whom the reader will know as Aunt Jew and informed Lady George that she was to be summoned as a witness. This was for a while a grievous affliction to her. I know nothing about it, she said to her husband. I only just went there once because Miss Mildmay asked me. It was a very foolish thing for her to do. And I was foolish, perhaps. But what can I say about it? I don't know anything. You shouldn't have bought those other tickets. How could I refuse when the woman asked for such a trifle? Then you took her to Miss Mildmay's. She would get into the brougham, and I couldn't get rid of her. Hadn't I better write and tell her that I know nothing about it? But to this Lord George objected, requesting her altogether to hold her peace on the subject, and never even to speak about it to anyone. 
he was not good-humoured with her and this was clearly no occasion for asking him about the waltzing indeed just at present he rarely was in a good humour being much troubled in his mind on the great popenjoy question at this time the dean was constantly up in town running backwards and forwards between london and brotherton prosecuting his inquiry and spending a good deal of his time at mr battle's offices in doing all this he by no means acted in perfect concert with lord george nor did he often stay or even dine at the house in munster court there had been no quarrel but he found that lord george was not cordial with him and therefore placed himself at the hotel in suffolk street why doesn't papa come here as he is in town mary said to her husband i don't know why he comes to town at all replied her husband i suppose he comes because he has business or because he likes it i shouldn't think of asking why he comes but as he is here i wish he wouldn't stay at a nasty dull hotel after all that was arranged you may be sure he knows what he likes best said lord george sulkily that allusion to an arrangement had not served to put him in a good humour mary had known well why her father was so much in london and had in truth known also why he did not come to munster court she could perceive that her father and husband were drifting into unfriendly relations and greatly regretted it in her heart she took her father's part she was not keen as he was in this matter of the little popenjoy being restrained by a feeling that it would not become her to be over-anxious for her own elevation or for the fall of others but she had always sympathized with her father in everything and therefore she sympathized with him in this and then there was gradually growing upon her a conviction that her father was the stronger man of the two the more reasonable and certainly the kinder she had thoroughly understood when the house was furnished very much at the dean's expense that he was to be a joint occupant in it when it might suit him to be in london he himself had thought less about this having rather submitted to the suggestion as an excuse for his own liberality than contemplated any such final arrangement but lord george remembered it the house would certainly be open to him should he choose to come but lord george would not press it mr stokes had thought it proper to go in person to manor cross in order that he might receive instructions from the marquis upon my word mr stokes said the marquis only that i would not seem to be uncourteous to you i should feel disposed to say that this interview can do no good it is a very serious matter my lord it is a very serious annoyance certainly that my own brother and sisters should turn against me and give me all this trouble because i have chosen to marry a foreigner it is simply an instance of that pig-headed english blindness which makes us think that everything outside our own country is or ought to be given up to the devil my sisters are very religious and i dare say very good women but they are quite willing to think that i and my wife ought to be damned because we talk italian and that my son ought to be disinherited because he was not baptized in an english church they've got this stupid story into their heads and they must do as they please about it i will have no hand in it i will take care that there shall be no difficulty in my son's way when i die that will be right of course my lord i know where all this comes from my brother who is an idiot has married the daughter of a vulgar clergyman who thinks in his ignorance that he can make his grandson if he has one an english nobleman he'll spend his money and he'll burn his fingers and i don't care how much money he spends or how much he burns his hands i don't suppose his purse is so very long but that he may come to the bottom of it this was nearly all that passed between mr stokes and the marquis mr stokes then went back to town and gave mr battle to understand that nothing was to be done on their side 
the dean was very anxious that the confidential clerk should be dispatched and at one time almost thought that he would go himself better not mr dean everybody would know said mr battle and i should intend everybody to know said the dean do you suppose that i am doing anything that i am ashamed of but being a dignitary began mr battle what has that to do with it a dignitary as you call it is not to see his child robbed of her rights i only want to find the truth and i should never take shame to myself in looking for that by honest means but mr battle prevailed persuading the dean that the confidential clerk even though he confined himself to honest means would reach his point more certainly than a dean of the church of england but still there was a delay mr stokes did not take his journey down to brotherton quite as quickly as he perhaps might have done and then there was a prolonged correspondence carried on through an english lawyer settled at leghorn but at last the man was sent i think we know this said mr battle to the dean on the day before the man started there were certainly two marriages one of them took place as much as five years ago and the other after his lordship had written to his brother then the first marriage must mean nothing said the dean it does not follow it may have been a legal marriage although the parties choose to confirm it by a second ceremony but when did the man luigi die and where and how that is what we have got to find out i shouldn't wonder if we found that he had been for years a lunatic almost all this the dean communicated to lord george being determined that his son-in-law should be seen to act in cooperation with him they met occasionally in mr battle's chambers and sometimes by appointment in munster court it is essentially necessary that you should know what is being done said the dean to his son-in-law lord george fretted and fumed and expressed an opinion that as the matter had been put into a lawyer's hands it had better be left there but the dean had very much his own way End of chapter 30